Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 5, verse 9 this morning. The text is also in the bulletin for you there. Let me pray, then we can read the Scripture. Father, your Son has said we are to live not by bread alone, uh, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, by your very word. That your word is uh, more necessary for true life with you than uh, even physical food is. So we pray that you would make us hungry for your word. That you would satisfy us also by your word as we hear it together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Peacemakers. Uh, Peace in relationships is not the default state of fallen sinful humanity. Peace in relationships is foreign to us. Our default relational state is more characterized by things like suspicion of each other and conflict with each other, bitterness toward each other, even division and enmity. Those things are natural to us, right? So groups of people are divided from one another. Uh, by things like uh, ethnic, um, cultural, economic, political, or religious divisions, right? We're scouring Twitter for more reasons uh, to divide from one another constantly. Uh, Families tend toward fragmentation, tend to uh, break apart over time. Uh, Married couples drift. They drift even toward divorce. Parents and children will disown each other sometimes. Uh, Siblings fight all the time. Siblings separate, and they become estranged from each other. It's common, too common. Business partners, uh, they bring lawsuits against each other. Friends hold on to grudges. They let resentments and bitterness grow, and connections fade, and rifts widen, and people go their separate ways. All kinds of relationships come to all kinds of ends. That's the default state of relationships. We don't have to try to make that happen pretty much automatically happens unless we exert some energy against that tendency. That's just how people are in this world. That's natural. It's to be expected, this kind of division that's the default state of humanity. It's to be expected. We shouldn't expect anything different, really. Sometimes relationships explode and the conflict turns violent and a fight escalates and someone attacks another person or a group attacks another group and there's war. And the best solution that we've come up with for problems like this, for keeping the peace, keeping things from escalating to the point of violence, the best solution is to have someone be the the biggest, meanest kid on the block with the most powerful arsenal of weapons. We make peace through violence or through threats of violence. Um, Since 1873, the, the famous Colt Army revolver gun has been called the peacemaker. Because it can be used to bring an end to conflict by bringing an end to the other person in that conflict. Right? <clears throat> That's our solution. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been among the rare pri- privileged few to enjoy the sci-fi show Farscape, which is set through a wormhole in a distant part of the de- galaxy. The peacekeepers, they're this militant race. This, they're gen- genetically engineered for combat. They're bred for a single purpose. And because they're so well-trained and so armed and they have the biggest 
scariest battleships patrolling every part of space, they generally intimidate everyone else into some semblance of peace. Look out, the peacekeepers are coming. Get your heads down, be orderly, let's, let's display some peace here, right? But everybody fears them, everybody hates them. No one enjoys that kind of peace. And that reflects the way that you know, international relations often work in this world, or the way a police force is meant to have the monopoly on local violence in order to keep the peace through violence or through threats of violence. There isn't any true peace in that. There's no true peace in that. This is just a way of using conflict to suppress conflict. Armies and police and weapons of war do nothing to bring true reconciliation. Right? The root of the problem is the sinful human heart. The root of the problem is that we are in conflict with God and we all have been from almost the very beginning of the human race and now that conflict is the default state of our hearts as sinners. Conflict. It's the default state. The triune God, he created us in his image. The God of perfect love and peace, the Father creating us in the image of his Son. Right? We're created to enjoy the very relationship of the Son to the Father. And just as the Father and the Son enjoy peace in their relationship in the Spirit in all eternity... We were at peace with God and with one another when we were first created, but almost immediately we rejected that peace and we broke that peace and we rebelled against the God of peace. Not because of anything God had done to us. He had been only good and generous toward us. You can read about this in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Right? Adam and Eve sinned because they believed something wrong about God. They believed the devil's uh, subtle lie and they began to grow suspicious of God, and they believed that God was secretly plotting against them, probably holding them down, so they made the preemptive strike in the conflict. Preemptive strike, and they turned against God first. And in doing so, the first parents of our race threw away that relationship with God, the blessed sonship that we had been created for. And they exchanged it for conflict. Conflict with God, war against God, and conflict with each other. So we became the kind of people who lean away from others, who pull away from others, who blame others for their problems and look out only for themselves over and against each other. So we usually think of each other instinctively as um, someone to be suspicious of, someone to guard against, someone that we're in conflict with. That's the default state. And we think of our uh, instinctive responses to conflict they're not good. We usually think of just, they're in two terms, right? They're not good. Fight or flight. What's your response to conflict? Fight or flight. Neither of those are good. Either you, you attack and defeat the opponent or you run away from the relationship. Either way, our default is to view each other basically as threats to be eliminated or threats to be avoided. And the root of all of this is the brokenness of our relationship with God. That's the root of it. <clears throat> Since we became, uh, became suspicious of God believing him to be against us, we set ourselves against him, against the one who is at the heart of all reality. When you set yourself against the one who is at the heart of all reality, then your experience of reality is going to be one of just being against. Right? Being against has become fundamental to our nature. nature. Fundamental to our nature. So conflict has defined our race ever since the first sin until the blessed peacemaker came into the world. 
So Jesus is the God of peace himself, come in the flesh. Jesus is the Son who enjoys eternal peace with the Father in the Spirit. He's the Son who, as Hebrews says, uh, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, who perfectly reflects the Father in his peacemaking. God is the peacemaker. Jesus is the peacemaker. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's what the Scriptures call him. He's come to establish a kingdom of peace. And when he came, he taught us. He taught us how to live at peace with each other, even if it means foregoing vengeance, which is something near and dear to all of our hearts. Vengeance. To live at peace with each other, even if it means cutting that off, even if it means being gracious and forgiving toward those who hurt you, hurt you very badly. He chose people to be his disciples who were naturally in conflict. All of his disciples are people who are naturally in conflict with each other. But it's right there on the nose, painfully obvious, with people like Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Right? So Matthew, who wrote this gospel that we're going through, <clears throat> he was a tax collector in league with the Roman occupiers, viewed by many Jews as a traitor uh, to his people, traitor to their land, by making his livelihood by participating in Roman oppression, collecting taxes on their behalf. Matthew was a sellout. Simon the Zealot was a radical patriot. He's a political activist, uh, violently opposed to Roman rule, right? We might even call the Zealots insurgents or terrorists. And Jesus brought people like Matthew and Simon the Zealot together around himself. He brought them together. They're in the same room for no other reason than because of Jesus, because of their relationship with Jesus. Jesus brings us all together on equal footing around himself, calling us to confess our sins, to receive forgiveness, to be reconciled to God and to each other through our relationship with himself. Jesus sent his disciples out into the countryside in pairs, and he instructed them, uh, it says this in Luke chapter 10, whatever house you enter as you go, first say, peace be to this house. As you go, you're going to be a people of peace, and you're going to take my peace and extend it, right? He sends his people out to bless other people with God's peace. The Prince of Peace expanding his kingdom of peace through his people of peace. Jesus would never promote merely the appearance of peace. He would never, he's against the illusion of peace. If people just seem to be getting along, but their hearts are really seething, and they're really holding grudges, Jesus would get to the root of that, and he would pursue real reconciliation. He would mediate real reconciliation. And his peace is no easy peace. It's not one where we uh, feel satisfied and you know, everything's okay now because we've been able to inflict pain on our enemies. But it's one where we actually become willing to suffer ourselves in order to forgive. Forgiving is suffering. And to live at peace with others when you have to forgive them, that's... It's signing up for a lot of suffering. So his peace is not an easy peace. And you see this most clearly at the cross when the Prince of Peace didn't revile his enemies who crucified him, didn't even speak an evil word to them. But he prayed for their forgiveness. And he reconciled people to God in his sacrificial death. So Jesus is our high priest. He's our mediator. And he has the divine ministry of reconciliation. And Paul says in Colossians that God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things through Christ, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a painful peace. That's not an easy one. 
And Ephesians 2, Paul says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So at the cross, Jesus took people who were heading polar opposite directions from God and from each other, right? He, he took people who would lean away, especially from God, and he brought them near, and he's made them one. And he's brought us back into a relationship with God where we can put aside our suspicions. Our belief that God is against us, we can put that aside. We can stop being against the one who's at the heart of reality. So being against is no longer fundamental to our nature in Christ. The Son of God redeemed those who had made themselves enemies of God and brought them back into his family to make them sons again. To bring us back into that blessed relationship, that blessed sonship. And in his resurrection, he greets his disciples with peace. It's the first words that come out of his mouth when he meets them in that upper room where they've locked themselves in for fear. John records it three times in John's Gospel, chapter 20. Jesus saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. The, The Lord of new life, the Prince of Peace, says to people who need his forgiveness but do not deserve it, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. The blessed peacemaker, the Son of God, says to his friends who had abandoned him just a couple days earlier, abandoned him to capture and torture, they'd betrayed their relationship, and they'd left him to die. He says to them, peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So he's the blessed peacemaker. He's happy with God's own happiness. That's what that word blessed means. It's a strange kind of happiness. But Jesus is happy with God's own happiness because he's the God of peace in the flesh, the Son sent by the Father to establish his kingdom of peace. And as it goes with him, so it goes with us, his people. As the Father sent him to establish his kingdom of peace, so Jesus sends us to extend his peace, to be blessed, to be happy with God's own happiness as we suffer as he did, as we forgive and pursue deep reconciliation, get to the root of the problem as he did. So Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. And he says in chapter 14, let us pursue what makes for peace. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, strive for peace with everyone. So this is the kind of thing that has characterized the life of the Son of God, and even the death of the Son of God, the striving for peace, pursuing it. And as we're renewed in the image of the Son of God, through our sonship, through that relationship with the Father, through faith in Christ, as we're renewed in Christ's image, peacemaking will characterize us too. So being called sons of God means that we have a special relationship with the God of peace. He's our father. It also means that we share his character, like father, like son, like sons. 
So Alfred Poyer says that real change comes in people's attitudes toward conflict and reconciliation through a renewed vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the engine that drives the train of reconciliation. Peacemaking is all about Jesus Christ, his person and work, as its ground, message, and manner of being. Peacemaking is Christology. So Christian peacemaking isn't uh, just about getting along a little better, trying, trying harder to do that. It's about living with reference to the Prince of Peace at all times. It's Christology. It's what you think about Jesus, peacemaking. It's about growing in the Son's image, even as the Son is in the Father's image. Peacemaking, Christian peacemaking, is about the life of the God of peace coming alive in you. It's about responding to Jesus in the way that you live in your relationships, which means you'll be interested in his way of living, the way that involves leaning into relationships rather than away from them. So in the church, uh, we've made some pretty basic commitments to each other. We've taken membership vows, many of us here. One of them is to study or to apply ourselves to the peace of the church. Right? So we pray for the peace of the church. As Rob read in our uh, Old Testament reading from Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that is the, the people of God. Right? Pray for their peace. May, the, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. So we want to pass the peace of Christ to each other and pray for the peace of Christ. We exert energy against the default state of fallen humanity in the church. We pursue peace. We strive for it. We pray for it. We look to hold our relationships together through faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to work. It's only because of our mutual relationship with Jesus. And that's what we look to do, even when that's difficult, even when you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you're the source of conflict and you need to ask for forgiveness. Or even when you need to let go of your bitterness and your desire for vengeance and offer forgiveness to someone who has hurt you. We look to hold our relationships together through faith in Christ, even when we have to find a way to confront our brothers and sisters in love. Even when you need to do the difficult work of sitting in the room together with frustrating people, committed to working out your conflict, committed to extending love and grace until there's real connection, real reconciliation, if at all possible, in the name of Jesus. It's natural for sinners to let relationships die without even giving a thought to actually resolving the conflict, actually getting to the root of it and pursuing reconciliation. It's natural for sinners to just let relationships die that way. But the Son of God could not conceive of such a thing. He would die to get to the root of the matter and to restore peace. And he did. He died to resolve the deepest conflict between us and God. And those who become like him also cannot conceive of just letting relationships die. So Ken Sandy says that peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. And then they bring his love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. Daily life includes uh, a lot of conflicts, unfortunately, pretty regularly, uh, big conflicts, 
small conflicts, right? Peacemaking is important stuff, always relevant to life together in this world. Uh, People say hurtful things to us a lot, almost daily probably. Friends are mean. Friends are selfish. Friends break our toys. Siblings swindle us out of our inheritance. Spouses disagree with uh, each other on how to spend their money or how to discipline their children. Bosses want jobs done their way, even if your way is better. If we live with reference to Jesus in all these relationships, then we can draw on his goodness and live with his humility and with his love and with his grace, and we can lean into the relationships rather than fighting or fleeing, which are our instincts. We can't always fix what's broken in our relationships. Um, We can embrace Jesus' peace and proclaim his peace, and we can extend it to others, and we can pray to the Prince of Peace that they'll receive it, and sometimes they'll throw it right back in our faces just like they did with him when he wound up on the cross. But if that's the case, and we've been peacemakers looking to be renewed in the image of the blessed peacemaker, Jesus, and people throw our peace back in our faces, well, then we, then we only have the privilege of becoming more like the Son of God, the privilege of bearing the family resemblance as Jesus does, and the Father will look on us, and he'll call us blessed, and he'll call us his sons in Christ. Happy with Christ's own happiness are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, please forgive our tendency to let relationships die. We want to live at peace and enjoy peace with you and with our neighbors. And this is only a desire that we have because uh, you've been at work in us. You've begun your good work in us. We pray that you would complete that work. This desire for peace in relationships goes against our sin nature. We need your divine nature to change us from the inside out so that we truly pursue peace. So please send your spirit of peace into our hearts and give us a love that moves toward others to pursue reconciliation and peace in the name of Jesus. Amen.